Welcome to today's edition of the Bible Class. Our teacher, Dr. Kenneth C. Hill, is teaching from the New Testament book of 1 Peter. You may send your questions by email through our website at whcbradio.org. That's whcbradio.org. Or you may mail them to the Bible Class, care of WHCB, Post Office Box 5, Bluntville, Tennessee, 37617. And now, here is Dr. Hill with today's lesson. Welcome to the Bible class. We're continuing our study of the Epistle General of 1 Peter. This letter of 1 Peter was written to those Jewish Christians who were scattered abroad. They were not in Jerusalem, although there were probably some that were there, but they were not in Jerusalem in mass as they had been, they had already been scattered. And so, here we continue with our study in 1 Peter chapter 3. We're beginning at verse 8. Remember, in our study thus far, we have seen the admonition to the wives and the admonition to the husbands. And now in verse 8, we read this. Finally, be ye all of one mind, having compassion one of another. Love as brethren, be pitiful, be courteous. So we are to have the same mind as Christ. And if we have the mind of Christ, then of course we will have the same mind, the same attitude, the same understanding one of another. One thing that I was taught a long time ago by an associate pastor of a church where I was attending uh, prior to uh, marriage, this pastor was telling us, and telling me in particular, that uh, the closer that I and my wife, whenever I got married, would be to Christ, then the closer we would be to each other. Because when you are of the same mind as Christ, then you're of the same mind with others who are of the same mind. So we're to be all of one mind, that is to have the mind of Christ, having compassion one of another. Compassion is that ability to see the needs that others have and to help meet those needs. We are to love as brethren. We are to see ourselves as one family. We are to be full of pity. Now, to be pitiful doesn't mean to be piteous. Uh, It doesn't mean that we should be uh, so... Uh, having such difficulties and letting everyone know it so that everyone looks at us and says, oh, how pitiful they are. No, that's not the use of the word. The word here, be pitiful, this uh, admonition, is that we should be filled with pity for those in need. In other words, we are always the good Samaritan. We're always there willing and able to help as best we can. We are to be courteous. We are not... As a Christian now, we are not to intentionally defame someone, intentionally hurt someone's feelings, 
intentionally be rude or crude, we are to be courteous. Verse 9, not rendering evil for evil or railing for railing. But contrarywise, blessing, knowing that ye are thereunto called, that ye should inherit a blessing. So we shouldn't give evil for evil. So if someone treats us poorly, we're not to treat them poorly. We should not be yelling at people who yell at us. We should be kind. We should be, it says, contrary wise. That is a compound word that takes a lot of tongue action to say it, but it takes a lot of understanding to do it. Contrary to evil for evil, contrary to railing for railing, we should be giving blessings to those who are causing trouble for us. Now that's a difficult one, isn't it? Knowing that ye are there unto called. It is our calling to give blessing, to be of the same mind as Christ, to have compassion, to be brotherly in our relationships, to be full of pity for others, to be courteous unto others, to give blessing to those who are not doing the good or the wise or the best. It's our calling. It's what we've been called to do. That ye should inherit a blessing. This is all part of God's plan for us in his blessing of us. Verse 10. For he that will love life and see good days, let him refrain his tongue from evil and his lips that they speak no guile. If you're going to have a good life, if you're going to have a good time in your life, keep your tongue from saying evil things. From keep your keep your mind from thinking evil thoughts, keep your lips from speaking guile. It's where you try to lead someone astray with your conversation. Don't do that. Let him askew evil. Now, do you remember uh, when you? Uh, we're studying the book of Job. When you study Job, you'll see Job was a righteous man, and he eschewed evil. The word eschewed is an old English word, but it's a good one. And it means to have nothing to do with. So he had nothing to do with evil. It goes further, and it also has a meaning of running from, if you will. So you run from evil. You not only have nothing to do with it, but you run away from it. So let him eschew evil and do good. Let him seek peace and ensue it. In other words, not only seek peace, but be a peacemaker for others. For the eyes of the Lord are over the righteous, and his ears are open unto their prayers. But the face of the Lord is against them that do evil. Think about Almighty God, maker of heaven and earth, your heavenly Father, whom has loved you so much that he sent his Son to die for you, he is watching over the righteous. 
He sees everything that we do. His eyes are not only on us, but his ears are open to us. He's listening to our prayers. He's listening to us. But the face of the Lord is set against them that do evil. We have a sort of a joke that runs through our family these days. My wife has a certain look when she's trying to get the attention of the grandchildren. It was the same look she used for the attention of the children. And she has a certain look. Her sons have the same manner of looking when when they're trying to get their children's attention. And now we're seeing it in the grandchildren, that same look about them, that same face that they put on, if you will. You see, that's what it's talking about here. It's the face that the Lord has against those that do evil. It is not pleasant. And who is he that will harm you if you be followers of that which is good? If God is looking over the righteous, if God's hearing the righteous person's prayer, and God has set his face against those that do evil, who's going to cause you harm if you are doing what God has called you to do? We're called to inherit blessings, according to verse 9. So we know that we cannot have harm come to us if we are where God wants us to be. And some would say at this point, well, what happens because the righteous do suffer? So tell me about that. I I would think if I'm doing right, I should never suffer. That's what this verse says. Not specifically, no. Because verse 14 comes in with the proviso, but and if ye suffer for righteousness' sake, happy are ye. And then we have uh, an admonition for us in this day of terror, and be not afraid of their terror, neither be troubled. But sanctify the Lord God in your hearts, and be ready always to give an answer to every man that asketh you a reason of the hope that is within you, with meekness and fear. When we are suffering for righteousness' sake, and we're not suffering for our own misdeeds, when we're suffering for righteousness' sake, we're to be happy. We're not to be afraid of the terror that they would want to inflict upon us. What does a terrorist want to do? A terrorist wants to inflict terror on a population so that folks will do what they, what the terrorist wants them to do. So they'll react the way the terrorist wants them to react. Well, if you have no fear of their terror... And if you're not troubled by what's going on around you, you are happy in the Lord, even when you suffer for righteousness' sake. Sanctify the Lord God in your hearts. How do you do that? God is already sanctified. He is holy. 
he is without spot, without blemish, without shadow of turning, as it says in Scripture, which means he is completely, 100% holy. He is purity in and of himself. There's nothing more pure, there's nothing more holy, there's nothing more sanctified than Almighty God. So why is he giving us this admonition? He says, sanctify the Lord God in your heart. Think properly. Live properly. And have your heart so tuned to God that you are living for him inside and outside. And then we are able and ready to give an answer for the reason of the hope that lies within us. And we can do it without arrogance. You don't have to be arrogant in telling people of why you are not afraid of the terror that's going on around you. It is with meekness and fear that we give the reason of our hope. Meekness means we have strength under control, and fear means we have an awesome respect for Almighty God. It's not that we have fear of the person we're talking to. No, not at all. But we have an awesome respect for Almighty God. And it continues in verse 16, Having a good conscience, that whereas they speak evil of you as evildoers, they may be ashamed that falsely accuse your good conversation, that's your good lifestyle, in Christ. You see, you're going to have people that are going to say nasty things about you, and they're going to do it. It doesn't matter if you uh, are deserving of the nastiness or not. They're going to be nasty to you because they're people who are just nasty people. They are evil. And they're going to say evil things. And they're going to be evildoers. But you don't have to be one of those. You are to be following the Lord. And when these things come to you, and you have these people saying the things that they say about you, the people around you will know that it's not true. It's false accusations, and those around you will know that, and these people should then be ashamed of their accusations. For it is better if the will of God be so, that ye suffer for well-doing than for evil-doing. I've heard this from several sources where Christians have been robbed, and they say, I would rather be robbed than be the robber. Where Christians have been attacked physically, and they say they would rather be attacked physically than to be the attacker. When we're lied about, When people are telling stories that are not true about us, it's far better for us to have those stories told about us and have some people, weak-minded individuals, believe them than it is for us to be the ones spreading the nasty stories about somebody else. It's better, if the will of God be so, that ye suffer for well-doing than for evil-doing. 
And at the bottom line, it would be better for us then to suffer because we are in Christ than to suffer because we are ne'er-do-wells, we are criminals, we are evil, and we're doing ungodly things. Oh, may that never be the case for you. May you always do well, and then when suffering comes, you know it's not deserved, but it is being sent your way as a test of your obedience. Think about Job. He was tried. He was tested. None of it was punitive. None of it was punitive. It was all to make him more the fine gold that he really was in God. Now let's look at verse 18. For Christ also hath once suffered for sins, the just for the unjust, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but quickened by the Spirit, by which also he went and preached unto the spirits in prison, which sometime were disobedient, when once the long-suffering of God waited in the days of Noah, while the ark was preparing, wherein few, that is, eight souls, were saved by water. The like figure, whereunto even baptism, doth now also save us, not the putting away of the filth of the flesh, but the answer of a good conscience toward God, by the resurrection of Jesus Christ, who is gone into heaven, and is on the right hand of God, angels and authorities and powers, being made subject unto him. In those verses, 18 through 22 of chapter 3, 1 Peter, we read that he might bring us to God. That means in order that Christ might bring us to or give us access to God Almighty. Since Christ has opened up the way to God, there is no longer the need of a priesthood. Rather, we read here in 1 Peter that each individual believer is a priest. Christ's descent into Hades took place when he went and preached unto the spirits, which refers to those lost souls in hell who have rejected God. The immediate mention of Noah would indicate that these spirits be understood as the souls of those who heard and rejected Noah's preaching. Since they were the largest group of mankind ever to experience the universal judgment of God at one time. This preaching was the announcement of his triumph on the cross, which sealed the fate of those doomed souls. And the preaching there was to shout the victory and to put the final um, cap on the sentence of their judgment. Now, I think it's interesting this phrase uh, talking about uh, whereunto even baptism doth also now save us. It doesn't mean water baptism is essential to salvation. It really doesn't mean that at all. It cannot wash away the filth of the flesh. It says that in the parenthesis there. But baptism shows the answer of a good conscience toward God. In other words, baptism is a conscious testimony of one's faith in the resurrection of Jesus Christ because it symbolizes our resurrection with him and says, like a figure, 
whereunto even baptism doth also now save us, not the putting away of the filth of the flesh, but the answer of a good conscience toward God by the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Talks there of figure, not of the reality. And that is what baptism is. It's a figure. And it is nothing, nothing more than a figure of the resurrection of the believer with Jesus Christ. And it's here we see that Christ is on the right hand of God the Father with angels and authorities and powers being made subject unto him. Thank you for joining us today for this edition of the Bible Class with Dr. Kenneth C. Hill. You may reach us by email by going to our website, whcbradio.org, and sending us an email on the Contact Us link. That's whcbradio.org. If you prefer to use the postal service, our address is The Bible Class, WHCB, Post Office Box 5, Blountville, Tennessee, 37617. That's The Bible Class, care of WHCB, Post Office Box 5, Blountville, Tennessee, 37617. You may also call us at 423-878-6279. Until our next Bible Class program, we are trusting that the Lord will richly bless you as you serve Him.